Hello and welcome to the Atlantic Fellows Podcast. I'm Fanula Sweeney. The Atlantic Fellowship Program works with a diverse community of leaders around the world with a common commitment to fairer, healthier, more inclusive societies. Through its seven programs focused on equity in healthcare, socioeconomic equity, and racial equity, the Atlantic Fellowships offer committed leaders across the globe an opportunity to gain new perspectives and new colleagues while strengthening their competence and confidence in their work for change. In each podcast, I'll be speaking to an Atlantic Fellow about their work and ambitions for a more just world. I'm joined by Yanis Tarnanis, an Atlantic Fellow for Equity in Brain Health with the Global Brain Health Institute. His research focuses on understanding the aging process, using new technologies to decrease the risk of developing dementia or delay its onset. Now, I know you focus on developing technologies, but let me go back to why, first of all, you were interested in dementia. I'm attacking this same problem for 18 years. The first stage was caring for my grandma. I cared for her till the end. And this motivated me to look at things that most doctors were missing. What age were you when your grandmother developed Twelve. So from the age of 12, you pretty much looked after her? Yeah, so I was around 16 when it started to get really bad. And this was the time that I was entering the psychology department in Greece. So I was pretty much aware of the signs that I should be looking at. And it was surprising for me that the doctors that were examining my grandma couldn't recognize the same signs that I was seeing in, in real life. So they couldn't see the things that you were seeing? Exactly. Because you have the everyday functioning, and the clinician just gets a snapshot of that. He gets you in front of a questionnaire or into an interrogation room, and he gets what's happening at that particular time. But the patient or the person living with dementia could be functioning better or worse. Or worse, yeah. Where has that career led you? It led me to many, many different fields. So I started from psychology. I then went into artificial intelligence. I did a Master of Science here in Sussex, UK. I then did a PhD in neurology back in, in Greece. It was actually in collaboration with the University of Ulm mm. in, in Germany. I had a brief stop for two years in San Diego working for a company because I had my own ideas and I had to test them somewhere first. The Americans are quite open to such collaborations. Then I went back to Switzerland as a postdoc at the University of Bern and I became a senior researcher at the University of Zurich. In terms of the technology you're developing, you said you had your own ideas. Did you collaborate with these universities? Yeah. And at the point where you are now, you believe you have found a product that can help detect early onset dementia before it develops. Yes. What could a person do if they knew they were going to get dementia in six years or so? They could prevent it pretty much. Really? Even within Not, six years? Yeah, you know, you, don't, you can't prevent everything. One third of all dementia cases can be prevented pretty much with multifaceted interventions, so not just one thing. You need to follow a certain protocol. There are two caveats to be able to enable this prevention. One is to promote adherence. We pretty much all know what we should be doing. It's more exercise, more healthy food, more intellectual activities, and so on. But we don't stick to that. We don't make it a habit. The second thing that we can do to enable the first one is having a visualizer or a scoring mechanism, let's say, that is very objective, very measurable, that could lead you to improve your function and to improve your brain health. That implies it would have to be quite intensive if the discovery is made that within six years you might be diagnosed with dementia. Intensive and you need a mechanism as well to assess very, very subtle changes. 
how do you anticipate how widely this will be made available should your technology come you to... When it's going to be commercial. Exactly. We wanted to have a validation of real cases, so we examined 100 people at the beginning, and we had four cases that we had a disagreement between what the clinician is saying and what my machine is saying. Mm-hmm. So my machine won at all four cases. <laughs> this is the machine that has the 87 to 94% yeah. diagnostic accuracy. Yeah. And what about the other 13%? Is it not diagnosing dementia? Is it missing it, potentially? Yeah, it can be something else, usually. So most of the cases Another in factor. dementia, yeah, they, they are not so clear. There are multiple comorbidities that can be in, in place. There are other kind of pathologies that can be placed and it's not so clear. So we are specializing in AD. I mean, any kind of impairment that is actually leading in the future in AD can be picked. And of course, you're going to have some false positives that could be like 60 to 70% AD, but you know, not entirely AD. So those would be the cases that we basically miss. And presumably right now. very few technologies have a hundred percent success. Rate. That's correct. There is today no technology actually that is hundred percent. So this is a very exciting time for you. (laughs) You've been collaborating throughout your career with different universities and the Global Brain Health Institute, as you know, aims to try and change and affect policy for dementia, Mm -hmm. ease the burden on people living with dementia by training leaders such as Mm -hmm. yourself to go out into the world and change things. What prompted you? It's the first idea that I knew of who is actually trying to merge everything together. Because in the academic world, pretty much there are silos. There are very good things that are happening in one university or one continent, and there are other things that are happening in another continent, and there's absolutely no bridges between them. So no cooperation, Not really. at all. The research that is going on is still beautiful, and it's amazing, and it's super promising. But, you know, nobody knows what the other person is doing unless we meet at the conferences. GBHI is there to change all that. Conferences are great. But what about creating this whole body of work together? And what about enabling you to start doing some common projects rather than trying to connect the dots afterwards. The Atlantic Fellowship is an extension of the Global Brain Health Institute. What does being a fellow in the Atlantic Fellowship mean to you? This raises the bar a little bit. You want to achieve change and you want to achieve change globally. We can be great in the small world that we live in, like the science world. But what about the low and middle income countries? What can you do about that? So it makes me motivated to see if my solution can be adapted and can be used by this particular population. And that is the question, really. Dementia affects people mainly in low- and middle-income countries. Will your device be freely available or inexpensive in these countries? We are testing that. (laughs) Um, So you're becoming a businessman now? I'm not sure if this is about business. I'm not sure how much money we can take out of South Africa. This is going to be our first pilot. Some people say, don't underestimate South Africa. It might actually make you rich. But this is not actually why we are going there. It's going to be more like a pilot for in-development countries. And I want to see if whatever works there, can it work in Greece, can it work in Turkey, can it work in Cyprus, in Asia, in Latin America, and all those kinds of things. And is that the main project that you're involved in at the moment? No, I would like to announce that we're having a book coming out. It's going to be on a new field that we have developed. It's called Computational Neurodegeneration. It's actually three editors. Myself is one of them. Then it's Professor Panagiotis Vlamos and Ilias Kutsireas. This is all born of your experience with your grandmother at such a young age and as a teenager as well, caring mm. for her. Were you the primary carer? Hardly. I was the primary, actually, yeah. I belong to a family with three children. I'm the oldest. And somehow I had a very good relationship with this particular grandma. When she was starting to lose her brain, she could only remember my name. At the end, no, nobody else, not including her own son. So it's an emotional journey. 
As a teenager, when your friends are out doing things, did that prevent you in any way experiencing a fully rounded teenage life? Yeah, it's hard. I can't complain that I completely missed out of my teenager life. I was still seeing some people. I was still doing some stuff. I was not like 24-7 with my grandma, but I was the majority of life with my grandma. If anything, this made me a little bit more mature. I could see how people react when they're not in their best. Well, Yanis, so, we look forward to catching up in the not-too-distant future and see how your projects are going. Thank you so much, Fionnula. And that was Yanis Tarnanis, an Atlantic Fellow for Equity and Brain Health with the Global Brain Health Institute. For more information, you can visit www.gbhi.org or www.atlanticfellows.org. I'm Fanula Sweeney, and you've been listening to an Atlantic Fellows podcast.